Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Uh, last week, we were talking with uh, Detective Cookie Bolden, and uh, we had a few technical difference, uh, difficulties. But in one week, a significant change has occurred. Uh, they, the, the construction drawings are up now for the Detective Cookie Chess Park. So, uh, Detective Cookie, welcome back to Urban Forum Northwest. And why don't you, let's uh, first of all, talk about how long you've been at this chess club in South Seattle, the Rainier Beach area of Seattle, for people who are listening from outside of state, outside the area. Uh, but, uh, uh, and it was uh, really, uh, it was a uh, kind of a, a, a dicey situation out there, but you were able to pull these folks together. Why don't you share that with our listeners? Okay. First of all, I want to thank you for inviting me to be a guest on your wonderful show. I appreciate that. I um, started the chess club in 2006, and it was out of what I saw was a need for our youth to do something to keep them occupied. But at the time, I thought what I would put together would be a basketball game where they play police officers and a basketball game, which took place at the Rainier Community Center. And the kids volunteered to um, play the officers. And we had officers that was pretty good. They played on their college team and they had some played on a, a team that they put together where they play other people such as men or women from the fire department or different other occupations. So they had a team and they were pretty good. So we got this game together. And the, at the beginning of the game, the officers, they were winning. They were doing very well, moving the ball up and down the court. And they were ahead by quite a bit. Then halftime came. When, ha when they were finished with halftime and got back on the court, they pretty much was out of gas. And those teenagers, they never ran out of gas. It was like they just got rebooted. And so they ended up winning the game, the teenagers, and had so much fun. And they had the opportunity to see officers in a different capacity. They saw officers as just regular people. They saw officers that they could talk to. And some of these kids have stayed in touch with those officers. Those officers became mentors to some, but wonderful events. So the following year, I was told to put something together again for the youth in the community. And I figured since that worked, I'll do that again. I went to the kids in the community and stated that, hey, we're going to have another basketball game. And several of the kids shouted out just about basketball. And they didn't want to do another basketball game. So I asked them, I said, well, what would you like? I'm thinking they're going to say, let's have a swimming pool party. Let's have a barbecue. Let's have a dance. But to my surprise, they said, let's have a chess tournament. And all I could think about is when I had tried to learn how to play chess and how I did not like the game of chess. I could not learn how all those pieces move. And I was frustrated over the game and frustrated over not knowing how all the pieces move. And I just pretty much vowed that I would never play chess again or try to play chess again. And so to my surprise, when they said this, all I could think about is, oh, no, not chess. 
But I said, okay. I said, sure, we'll do a chess tournament. Parks Department was generous enough to let us use a, one of the parks and provided chess boards and chess pieces for this tournament. So we had the tournament. The kids came. When it was time for them to play, they just stood around looking. Maybe two or three people actually knew how to play chess out of the 25 or 29 that showed up. And they're just standing around. I'm like, why aren't you guys sitting at the table playing chess? They're like, uh, we don't know how to play chess. And so I said, well, why did you say you wanted to have a chess tournament? I, well, we do. Uh, and some just say, I don't know. Well, we want to learn. And so I am, I'm looking at this picture saying something is wrong with this picture. I got to make this right. So I searched around, ended up getting a small grant to buy some chess boards, chess sets, and to hire a chess pro to teach chess, a chess instructor. And I asked the kids ahead of time, if I was to do this, would they come and would they learn how to play chess? And they said, yes. So approximately, I would say maybe a month later, I now had the Rainier Beach Library, their large room for me to do chess with the kids. So that was the beginning of the Detective Cookies Chess Club, but only about three, less than five kids showed up. So again, I'm thinking this is a disaster. Um, but what I didn't realize is you cannot tell teenagers that you're going to have an event a month ahead of time and expect for them to remember that. So I went and had flyers made up. I passed them out to the different kids, the different community center at the grocery stores, put them on cars. And so the next time that following Saturday, I had approximately maybe six to 10 kids showed up to play chess, which was a success as far as I'm concerned. And then the next following week, we doubled that amount. And the following week, we had even more. I started having so many kids showing up, they're waiting at the door for me to open the door and set up the boards. Now, I didn't know how to play chess, but I was a good setup person. I could set that board up, but my instructor, he's the one that taught. And I would sit down and actually play the kids, but wherever they move, I moved exactly the same thing. So it was looking as if I could play. So they would move something, the same thing. And needless to say, I'd lost every game doing this. You cannot win in chess playing everything somebody else plays. So um, it got to the point where I would have over 60 kids showing up where I did not have enough chess boards. I did not have enough space. So some kids would have to wait almost a full hour before they got a chance to play a game. And so the community heard about this and they started donating chess boards and chess sets to my program. So now I had plenty of chess boards for all the kids. But my next problem was I didn't have a space anymore because I only had five tables at the Rainier Beach Library. They gave me maybe four to five tables. So I ran out of room. So I started putting chess boards on the floor at the library just all around the library, around our tables. We had kids sitting on the floor playing chess and enjoying it, having such a great time. Because not only are we learning chess, 
I used a chessboard to show kids how important it is to make good decisions, not just on the chessboard, but good decision in life. The chessboard is like your life. The squares are your various neighborhoods. And it's going to be people coming at you, trying to get you to do different things. And you've had to make the best choice because sometimes the choice you're going to make, you might have to step back and see if there's a better choice to make. And it's the same thing on the chessboard. And most time there's a kid who would raise their hand and say, you know what, Detective Cookie? Chess is just like the real world. You know, sometimes people try to get you to do things that you shouldn't do. And you just got to sit back and be strong and say no. So when someone tells me that without me telling them, I know clicking in and it's working. And so the kids are not only learning that, they're learning the consequences of your consequences of moving too fast. You see something that you want to get, but it could be a setup. Somebody trying to set you up. Now you just lost your queen. You took a pawn, but you lost your queen. So we're always constantly thinking. I want their minds to always be thinking, what's a better choice? The same as in real Detective life. Cookie. I want to ask, before we run out of time, where is the Detective Cookie Park? And what is your contact information for people who might be listening and said, you know, I'm going to have my son or daughter get involved with this because uh, it's at Rainier Beach. So can yes. you share that information? Okay. And I'm that the community is building a chess park for me called Detective Cookies Chess Park. That's going to be located at 9201 Rainier Avenue South. And that's Kitty Corner from the Rainier Beach Safeway gas pumps. That's where they're building it. You can go by and see them doing all the work now. And right now, I teach chess out of the Rainier Beach Community Center, which I will continue to do that even after the chess park is built. And we meet on at the Rainier Beach Community Center from 12 noon to 2 p.m., two hours, 12 to 2. And it's uh, kids ages from seven years old through adults. My oldest person is approximately 85 years old. My youngest started when she was actually four, even though I don't take kids until they're seven. What, what days are you at the Rainier Beach, at Rainier Community Center? Oh, thank you for saying that. We're there every Saturday, except for if it's a holiday weekend. We're there every Saturday. And we haven't started back yet for Tuesday chess at the Rainier Beach library that's they're still not doing group activities yet okay what about your contact information for people that might have an interest if you have an interest you could just call rainier beach community center and they will information that you need otherwise you could just uh contact me detective cookie at 06-235-6156 and if you want me to come to one of your community events, I will be more than glad to. I do anti-violence presentations as well. Um, and we're invited to several festivals. And I was set up, all I need is tables and a canopies for to cover my table, tables and chairs. I will bring the chess boards. Well, all right, Detective Cookie, that was a lot of information. And I see exactly see now how you're able to take the game of chess and turn it into a real life experiences about making decisions. So that's a fantastic approach. And I, I guess it will be emulated across the country soon. So thank you very much for your time today. Eddie, can I just say one more thing? This chess club is not just Detective Cookies Chess Club. I mean, Chess Park, 
that says you protect your cookies chest part. It's all of you guys chest part. I could not have done this without the community, the students, the parents, the grandparents, the businesses. And I thank everybody. Okay, we thank you, uh, Detective Cookie. Okay, All right, now. Okay, uh, my next guest starts up, Bob Armstead, President of the Washington State Chapter of the National Association of Minority Contractors, and Irene Reyes, who was uh, the former Vice President and Secretary of the uh, NAMC Washington Chapter. And uh, there's a meeting that's gonna be held tonight. I know that uh, Bob and I uh, went back on the board, but I was never on the board, I was one of the founders, but you know, it's time to uh, bring, there's a lot of aspiring young entrepreneurs out there that wanna be engaged and uh, learn from some, some OGs on how to navigate the system. And so what I wanna do is ask Bob to give a historical overview. Now to me, the National Association of Minority Contractors was founded by two African-American gentlemen, Joe Debro and uh, Ray Conley. And I look at it as being a historic black organization. Uh, but it's, we've always had open arms because Irene did two or three jobs and was a stalwart and I would follow her anywhere because she's committed. And it's open to all uh, minorities who are involved in the construction industry that are doing contracting. So before I put my foot in my mouth, I'm going to have the president go into more detail about the organization. Well, thank you very much, Eddie. And, and thanks for giving us the opportunity to have a discussion about the National Association of Minority Contractors, Washington State Chapter, or NAMAC WA. Uh, and it's, it's very interesting that NAMAC itself, the national organization, was one of the organizations that was founded after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, I'm sure your audience remembers that he was in Tennessee uh, helping sanitation workers uh, with the strike. Uh, NAMAC is a national association for minorities in the construction industry. Uh, the organization was started in 1969, one year after the uh, assassination of Dr. King. And it's, it's interesting to me, and I'm sure to the rest of your audience, that you and other individuals in the construction industry in the Seattle area have a history with Joe Debro and Ray Dones that actually precedes the formation of NAMAC. That as far back as 1966 or 1967, there were, uh, black construction contractors in the Seattle area that did uh, joint venture and other work with uh, Domes and Debro. But back to the, uh, the association, uh, NAMAC is the oldest uh, construction trade association for minorities in the United States. Uh, it has been in continued existence since 1969. The organization started in Oakland, California. Uh, it is now headquartered in Washington, DC. And there's a bit about that that I, I would like to say later, but the, the membership at NAMAC 
is open to all minorities and women that are in the construction industry. And by that, we mean it's open to general contractors and the trades that you uh, naturally and normally associate with a uh, construction association, but also to engineers, architects, uh, suppliers, uh, you name it. Anyone who is involved with or associated with the construction industry uh, is eligible for membership uh, in NAMAC. And in our uh, chapter here in Washington State, uh, we are in the process now, as you stated earlier, of opening the organization up to a younger group of, of members. Uh, you and I have been around uh, forever. Uh, Irene, much less because she's much younger. Uh, but we, we want to bring on board uh, individuals that are interested in working in the construction industry, uh, that are interested in having businesses in the construction industry, we want them to participate actively uh, in our organization. Uh, they have a better feel of what and how they want to do things as opposed to what we did 40, 50 years ago. Uh, we can help uh, guide and provide advice to them but we want to be able to incorporate into NAMAC a feeling that it is open to people of all ages and specifically the young. At this present moment, uh, and this is not just in Washington state, but this is nationwide, there is a shortage of people in the trades, uh, the carpenters, plumbers, electricians, uh, laborers, you name it. Uh, there's also a shortage of firms. So what we want to do is to make information available uh, to young people that are interested uh, in the construction industry and in the construction trades. Uh, what surprises many people is, as especially as it relates to uh, employment in the industry, that the wages and salaries are, are higher than those in some of the professional, administrative, and other uh, classes of work, that if you work your way from an apprentice up through a journeyman, uh, you have that classification for life as long as you maintain whatever the criteria is for your operating in that industry. President uh, Armstead, I want to stop you there for a minute because uh, I'm getting feedback that uh, uh, black males are catching hell in the trades. Uh, we might recall just a week or two ago, there was a noose hung at a black carpenters, a guy that went through the pre-apprenticeship program with Reverend Willis and was ready to journey out. I don't know if he did yet or not but hung a noose there. So we still have this environment where the prey is great. And the thing about it is driving around between Seattle and Federal Way and back, 
I've never seen two blacks working on the same job. I mean, I can't see everything. So, uh, but it's just unfortunate that there's a shortage. And I hear this from DOT as well, that a significant uh, portion of their workforce will be retiring in the next, the next five years. So if you have this discrimination against people, you're gonna have a shortage of workers. And you would think that uh, as, as Representative Santos on the situation at the Facebook building in Redmond where the noose occurred, uh, Representative Sharon Santos went to the powers of be at Facebook and they responded uh, saying they're gonna be fair and equitable. That's something we have to wait, wait and see. So, uh, but I just wanted to mention that too. That's another problem in getting our people involved and the unions have to take a role just like the owners to eradicate this form of racism in the trades. And, and Eddie, that, that has been a, a problem throughout the, uh, the history, actually, of organized labor in this country. Uh, if individuals are interested and want to, as you and I have done, uh, go back and read the original uh, legislation that set up organized labor in this country. And you will see that it specifically excluded Blacks. So no, this has been th throughout the history of, of labor unions. But like it is in construction and other, every other field, we do not accept that you know, as no. a practice, as a way of life. We have to do those things that are necessary for us to overcome those things. They eventually had to strike that section of the National Labor Relations Act mm -hmm. out. Uh, we now have programs such as the DBE program at the Department of Transportation, where they specifically require participation. But as you and I, and probably most of your audience know, in all of the uh, disparity studies that have been conducted in Washington State over the last 20 years. Uh, the numbers in terms of participation of Black have been minuscule, 1%, yes. uh, sometimes a little higher, sometimes lower. Uh, so these things continue. Yeah, I just want to say, before we go to Irene, that my father was a Pullman porter and A. Philip Randolph started the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. It was the only union that a black man could belong to uh, back in the 30s and 40s. And uh, he also was responsible for the 63 March on Washington, D.C. But I want Irene to chime in because this sister has acted as the secretary and the vice president from NAMAC. And things got to be a little fragile. And she was the glue that held the organization together. And we certainly do appreciate you, Miss Irene, the glove lady. She knows how to handle things real well. And, and before Irene starts, I, I want to second that. Uh, NAMAC Washington is in a healthy position right now uh, because of the efforts of Irene, Linda Womack, and, and Young. So, Irene? Hello and good afternoon. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> First, thank you for, you know, for uh, those uh, great comments, but I think it's a team effort. It's not just one. I think it's everyone's effort. And thank you also for Eddie and, and uh, Bob, you paved the way for us. I mean, the reason I'm 
successful in what I do today, this is 30 years ago, is you paved the way. You know, you, you were instrumental in changing the language, how minority businesses should be dealt with when it comes to state contracting and any public contracting. I am really proud and a very engaged member of NAMAC. Actually, NAMAC has a megaphone voice. It advocates for the inclusion and utilization of minority contractors. I've been engaged in the minority business community for almost 30 years, and I serve on several boards. And one important board that I sit on where Bob is always invited as the president of NAMAC to uh, provide his opinion and that is the CPAR board. And the CPAR is the Capital Projects Advisory Review Board, which was created by the legislators to review alternative public works contracting procedures and provide guidance to state policymakers and ways to further enhance the quality, efficiency, and accountability of public works contracting method. There are committees that I am very involved and I passionately am involved about CPARB and so is President Bob Armstead of NAMAC. We are working right now on the um, definition of small business. I, I believe that it needs to be revisited. It was very inclusive, which included the large and majority corporations and not the small and minority firms. We also are revisiting and requesting for legislative changes on the small works rosters so small minority businesses can get firsthand experience on public works project that will incubate them until they have grown their businesses and would be ready for future and larger projects. Um, it is important to share the small minority business experience to our legislators so they know what is effective and what is not. And if you have any comments, please feel free to give it to Bob or myself or Eddie, and we'll be gladly keep it anonymous and it will help us, you know, move in a much uh, faster pace. I think- right, we're, gonna, we're gonna take a quick break and come back where well, you're on for the rest of the program. So Eric, we'll go ahead and take that break now because uh, Commissioner uh, Sam Cho should join us in a minute too. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, 
Link Live Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Live Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Be sure to support the sponsors of your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Eddie Ryan back at Urban Forum Northwest. with have been joined by uh, Seattle Port Commissioner Sam Cho, uh, NAMC, President Bob Armstead and former Vice President Secretary and the Glove Lady from the Excel Supply Company, uh, Irene Reyes is still with us. So Commissioner Cho, tell us the good news you have about the Port of Seattle since things have gone back to normalcy. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's always great to be back and uh, I appreciate the time. You know, the Port of, for the Port of Seattle is kicking, you know, uh, if you all have had a chance to go to the airport uh, and fly during the holiday holidays, you likely have um, noticed that the airport is uh, pretty crowded. Um, we are about 85% uh, recovered from pre-pandemic levels uh, in terms of passengers. Um, the only segment of travel that hasn't fully recovered, I would say, is international travel from Asia. Uh, Asia continues to struggle with COVID and there are still some shutdowns in that area. So Asia travel has not bounced back quite yet, as well as business travel. So if you work for one of the big tech companies, whether you're Microsoft, Amazon, you know, you're, you're not as traveling as much for those business meetings as you did prior to the pandemic. That's probably the last 10%, 10 to 15% that we expect uh, to slowly recover. We're expecting a full recovery by the end of 23. Um, and we're keeping on track uh, on that aspect. Um, when it comes to containers, though, we're doing better than we did pre-pandemic. I'm sure everyone's heard about the supply chain issues and congestion. Um, we are we are seeing some record volumes month to month and year over year, uh, thanks to some of the backlog and some of the business that we're taking from large, the other ports like Los Angeles and Long Beach. You know, you made a, a statement about uh, the pandemic. Did COVID ever? Did it ever? Did it, it was just continuous in Asian countries or? was just uh, coming up periodically. So I was just trying to figure out how does that work yeah. for it to have an impact on travel from Asia and, you know, through, uh, I guess, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Seattle would be the major ports of entry. I was just yeah. trying to figure out. Yeah. What the condition. Well, obviously the, the pandemic uh, origin, originated in the Asia region. And so we were hit uh, a little earlier than most other ports because we are a hub and a gateway for Asia. Um, but also one of the biggest things that uh, is, a, is a barrier to recovery is that Asia still has, many countries in Asia still have very strong quarantines and, uh, and requirements for entry, which serves as a deterrent for anyone who might want to travel to or go to the U.S. and come back to Asia, right? So i just give you an example, Eddie. In January, I went to uh, South Korea uh, and I had to quarantine for 10 days. I was vaccinated. I had my booster uh, they still made me quarantine for 10 days in a, in a room by myself. Um, and it's just not a pleasurable experience, right? And so I think they have far more stringent regulations and 
public health uh, uh, rules around COVID that, you know, are slowly becoming less uh, restrictive. But, you know, China has a no COVID policy, which has been extremely draconian. Uh, South Korea, Taiwan, Singapore, a lot of these countries have had similar uh, requirements. And so that really, you know, puts a damper on any interest of travel. So uh, I just heard recently one of the vendors at the airport, they were able to get an additional bar. I just wanted to have you comment on participation by yeah. uh, the DBEs uh, at SeaTac. Yeah, well, you know, as you know, our goal is to triple the number of DBEs we work with at the airport, from uh, airport dining and retail to contracting. Um, our head of that effort, me and Rice, is doing an excellent job of this, and we are on track to hit those goals by 2024. Uh, and so you can be rest assured that we're doing everything we can uh, to increase our Wimby participation at the port. Uh, that includes uh, going out to the community and really uh, being evangelists for our program. I think what we want to see is more people applying and filling the funnel, uh, the pipeline, so that there are more uh, you know, candidates that we can choose from. Uh, and so there's a lot of grassroots roots work being done by me and his team to go out and, uh, and, and provide that. Um, and, and there's actually a program tomorrow, uh, I'm sure, I'm, excuse me, next Tuesday, uh, we will be voting on a new community business connector initiative. And this is a, a program that I've put together as a result of many listening sessions. I met with uh, Tabor 100 uh, uh, last month. Um, and this new initiative is actually going to provide a resource center for minority-owned businesses so that they can get all the information and resources they need in order to be successful. Well, you know, we got the president of the National Association of Minority Contractors on here, as well as with uh, the a former vice president and uh, uh, the secretary of the organization. It was a glue that held the organization together. But... Uh, I want to also mention that uh, at the airport, uh, Lance Little and uh, Don Hunter seem to be doing an outstanding job with uh, the increase in traffic. And yep. uh, I mean, they're not responsible for the flights being canceled. Don't blame that on Lance now. You got that brother? <laughs> no, not at all. the airport, they cancel flights. They cancel flights everywhere. You can't blame him. That's up to the airlines. And then it's also up to the airlines dealing with the pilots as well. Right. You know, So, I mean, they have a right. They haven't had a, ra- had a raise in months. You know, uh, but like uh, Bob Wright, the former Commerce Secretary for Barack Obama, would say, look at the corporate profits and then let's talk. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot going on. It's not just one airline. Uh, the industry itself is is going through some what I would call uh, growing pains in terms of you know, they had to shrink during the pandemic. And now they have to grow again because there's some the, the industry is calling it revenge travel. Right. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Don Hunter, uh, who's our now um, chief operating officer, interim chief operating officer at the airport, as well as our managing director, Lance Little, and obviously Jeffrey as well as the chief development officer. They're doing a tremendous, tremendous job. They're really leading the industry. And I'll tell you right now, SeaTac uh, International Airport was just upgraded from a three-star rated airport by Skytrax to a four-star rated airport by Skytrax. And uh, Lance was in Paris, and it received an award for the best airport in North America. And that was a consumer survey-led award. So they're doing a tremendous job. 
Well, uh, Irene, uh, Ray has the glove lady has a question for you. I was just wondering, um, um, Sam, because um, <clears throat> there needs to be a balance on how the Port of Seattle is, uh, you know, being inclusive and looking at how where you spend the money, because I think there's a lot of focus on construction, right? But there's also supplies, like you use gloves, you use masks at the airport, and I don't get as much orders. I tried, and this is not a complaint, but you should know that. I will tell you more about the experience I've had with your procurement, and it's not great. Well, I, I appreciate that feedback. Um, I will say that our, our goals in uh, contracting include procurement. And so, um, you know, our goal is to triple the number of minority businesses that we're, we work with include uh, procurement, everything from gloves, sanitizers, pencils, desks. And so um, I would love to follow up with you, Irene, and, and listen and hear about your experience. I'll share with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. Would love to. That sure. Would be absolutely. Re no. Rest assured, it's, it, it, it is, you're right that uh, a lot of talk, a lot of people talk about construction uh, because that's where the big bucks are, right? We're spending $4.4 billion in the next five years. That's a lot of money. Uh -huh. um, but uh, our CPO office is also tasked with including, uh, with increasing the number of minority businesses that they do other procurement to contract with. So, uh, let's follow up. I would love to, to learn about your experience and see how it can make it better. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Bob, do you have a, a question or comment? Uh, I have both. Commissioner uh, Chell, uh, it, it is an unbelievable pleasure to see you and the other commissioners in place. Uh, Eddie and I have been meeting with court commissions, it seems like forever. And if you go back and look at the, the minutes of those meetings, I mean, we didn't show up occasionally. We were there at most, if not all, of the commission meetings for the public comment sector. And we got nowhere. Uh, you're having to increase 300% to try to get back to normal because of the inaction prior to your group of commissioners being in place. So we very, very much appreciate that. We also appreciate the fact that you are now supportive of your staff. Uh, me and Rice and others can tell you that we have worked with them and attempted to work uh, with those in authority at the, uh, the port uh, to no avail. Uh, actually, and it, it's a, a compliment to you because of where you are now, but it's a reflection on where uh, the port has come from. The port was the worst public agency uh, in the Puget Sound region to attempt to work with. Uh, so we look forward to working with the commission uh, with your staff, uh, we are at NAMAC uh, on the construction side, but as men will tell you, we have been there supporting the concessionaires. We've been there supporting procurement and professional services, 
And we look forward to working with you in all of those areas. Well, I appreciate those sentiments. And uh, I'll just say that the, the sense of urgency is mutual. And um, as you all know, I have new colleagues this year, uh, great allies of this effort. Uh, you know, Commissioner Hamdi Mohammed and Commissioner Tosh Kazagawa has joined the commission and we form a very strong block of votes that uh, is, should be encouraging to everyone in this effort. Uh, and we have great allies and my other colleagues as well. Um, and so I sincerely hope and I think that we're at a point, a tipping point, where we can make some very, very big changes to the port's ways of doing things and uh, address a lot of your uh, years and years of uh, advocacy. You know, uh, Ryan Calkins did meet with one of the DBEs from the port, uh, the airport, and uh, he's always been uh, rather Absolutely. progressive. I think he had his his whole uh, employment, I think, is centered around working with small and minority businesses. So that's right. That's good. I want to see if uh, did you have any other comments about your your future plans? Uh, I'm not talking about <laughs> senator or governor yet, but I was just wondering. Uh, oh man, Eddie, you're putting me on the spot. You're going to get me in trouble, my my friend. Um, Look, I'm just going to be really candid here. I love the port, um, and I think there's still a lot of work to be done at the port. Um, and I'm going to be very forthright and, uh, you know, remind everyone that I was sworn in as a port commissioner on January 7th of 2020. COVID-19 hit us January 21st, 2020. So I really only had uh, two or three weeks before we had to deal with this pandemic. Uh, and so I, I am up again next year. Uh, in 2023, uh, I fully intend to uh, ask the voters for a second term. Um, uh, I almost feel like because of COVID, I deserve an automatic renewal <laughs> of sorts. Um, but hopefully I've done a good enough job during yeah. the pandemic to deserve a second term in the eyes of the voters. And, and, and you're, you're, not, you're not even 30 yet, are you? How old are you? Uh, I just turned 32, actually. So I, okay. I, just, I, was, I was 29 when I got elected. So That's I'm, still, I'm still a young buck. I know you were in your 20s when you got elected. Irene, do you have any further comments or questions for Commissioner Cho? Well, I I think we're going to touch base so I can advocate for all the other experiences. Thank you so much, though. Appreciate it. Okay, well, we're going to, I tell you what, uh, we're going to take a break. We want everybody to hang right where you are. Uh, As a matter of fact, me and Rice has a, I'm trying to get him to redo his commercial. uh, It was a couple of years old. So, Eric, can we take a break and come right back? Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. 
Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150 KKNW. We ride back at Urban Forum Northwest with the glove lady, Irene Reyes, uh, Port Commissioner Sam Cho, and uh, National Association of Minority Contractors, Washington Chapter President Bob Armstead. And uh, I want to go back to Commissioner Cho. And, uh, you know, the Port has been doing an outstanding job. We've given people accolades who are in those positions. And... What are your priorities at this time, uh, Commissioner Cho? Yeah, so I think my, my, my number one priority right now is post-COVID recovery with the real focus on uh, underserved and minority communities and business owners who have been disproportionately impacted by this pandemic. Um, last year in the summer, uh, we did a, a, a round of listening sessions. Uh, we had about a dozen listening sessions with over 100 stakeholders uh, and the listening sessions varied from labor to minority business owners, contractors, and, um, and uh, everyone basically within our ecosystem. Uh, and it became really clear to us that uh, minority businesses during the pandemic struggled the most, whether it was access to resources, uh, financing, bridge loans, what have you. Um, and so we are focusing on post-COVID recovery to make sure that we have uh, enough resources, uh, even if it's not something that the port does uh, directly, that we can point minority business owners to the right resources uh, based on their needs. And so that's what we're working on uh, right now. Um, and then the other things that I, I would say that I'm prioritizing is um, sustainability work at our, our port. Uh, our port is uh, trying to become the greenest port in the country. Uh, and so we have a lot of work that we're doing on becoming uh, carbon neutral uh, by the year 2040. Uh, we're going to have our carbon emissions by 2030. Um, so there's a lot of work being done on that side. Um, and then one of the pet projects or passion projects that I have here at the port is actually on anti-human trafficking. Uh, this is something that I started from day one at the port, something that I, a baton that I received and was passed on to me by uh, Courtney Gregoire. And um, we are really ramping up our efforts on anti-human trafficking, especially as you all probably know, given the fact that we are gonna be a World Cup host city in 2026, which is a huge deal for this region and a huge economic boom for this region. Uh, but people should also know and understand that when you have large sporting events like the World Cup or the Olympics, there tends to be a huge rise in labor trafficking and human trafficking. And so the port is very aware of that and working really hard towards mitigating those activities. Uh, I also want to uh, ask about uh, 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 what just recently happened, in your opinion. You know, most recently, the Supreme Court struck down environmental regulations. 
I guess Joe Manchin will be real happy about that because of the coal industry in West Virginia. So, you know, we have people working against them. You can go up to the Arctic and see stuff melting. You can see the, the kind of climate we're having. Obviously, something is wrong. It doesn't start happening like this overnight. So you're absolutely spot on about that. And I still was a little surprised that uh, Governor Jay Inslee wasn't tapped to be the, the EPA secretary. I was a little surprised about that. So in terms of uh, we're talking about this environmental stuff, how do you do, how do you regulate the cruise industries that accumulates ungodly amount to waste with 5,000 people on, on the boat and they go to the bathroom at least once a day. So I'm just trying to figure out how do you dispose, they drop it in the ocean. What do they do with that? So a lot of it, so we have rules within our leases with the cruise industry that they cannot dump in our harbor. Uh, and so, you know, they're not, you know, dropping sewage in, in, in Puget Sound or anything. They're strictly forbidden from doing that. Uh, the power of the port is really within our lease agreements. And so we bake a lot of those environmental practices within uh, a lease agreement, just like uh, if you were to rent uh, as a tenant, there are rules around what you can and cannot do in a building. Um, the issue here is actually what the cruise industry does outside of the borders of our country, right? So when rent a, a cruise line goes from Seattle up to Alaska and they're in international waters, that's when the jurisdiction of the state is limited and those cruise vessels uh, are basically free to do whatever they please. And that's where actually international uh, and federal laws uh, are, are crucial. Uh, last month, we actually announced at the Port of Seattle something called a Green Corridor Initiative. So what we're doing here is taking things uh, uh, into our own hands in the absence of international and federal uh, guidance or regulations, the Port of Seattle, the Port of Vancouver, British Columbia, and, uh, and Alaska, the three ports that accommodate our regional crews has agreed to enter into a green corridor agreement. And th that working group is underway where any cruise ships that stop by any of our three ports would have to abide by the same uh, uh, regulatory standards when it comes to you know, the things that you just mentioned. So we're taking things into our own hands, Eddie. If, 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 if there's not enough leadership on the federal level, we're going to do it on the state and local level. Well, we know for four years we didn't have any leadership at all, but because I'm beginning to wonder why all these whales are dying all of a sudden. If they drop in tons of, of crap on there eating it, no wonder they're dying. They're supposed to be eating salmon and fish, not somebody's crap that comes out. Before we run out of time, I want to see if Bob Armstead or Irene has another question or comment. Uh, no, just that we would like to invite the commissioner to uh, be a part of our monthly meeting this evening. Uh, NAMAC has its monthly meetings the first Thursday of every month. Uh, so this is the, uh, the day for our monthly meeting. Uh, starts at five o'clock. Uh, it is a virtual meeting. Uh, Zoom access to the meeting is through namcwa.com and that's the website and the website will lead you to uh, how to become part of the meeting. Uh, our presenters this evening uh, are one, uh, King County Council Member uh, Jermaine Sahili uh, and the authors of the King County Inequities Report 
It is important for our membership, as it is with Eddie's listeners, to know that all business is politics and that if you are not aware of the uh, political aspects of how your business is allowed to operate, that you're operating at a disadvantage, that there are things happening in King County now that did not happen prior to an audience ordinance that was proposed and adopted by the council member. Uh, there are things in the state that are now happening, such as the uh, overturning of Executive Order 9801 that King County uh, made a request of the governor uh, to amend and overturn. It's important for us to know what happens when we have representatives like Commissioner Cho, so that we know that we need to help them to help us. And we help them first by making sure that they're in office and they're able to do things for us that others have not and will not do. Thank you, Eddie. Okay, Thank you, Bob. I'm gonna do my best to join you tonight, even if it's for a little bit. Thank you, we look forward to it. That would be great. I also wanna let everybody know that uh, this program will be available on Alexa and on my podcast within a few hours after the live broadcast, which is accessible 24 seven. I want to let people know that as well. And uh, well, I want to uh, thank uh, Bob Armstead, president of the Association of Minority Contractors of Washington chapter, inviting you to a virtual meeting at five o'clock. And uh, his uh, uh, the information is on, his, on my Facebook page under his picture. And we also want to thank uh, Irene Ray as the glove lady who is the owner of Excel Supply Company, and she's also a member of the Capital Project Advisory Review Board, and she might be able to let some people through or make sure that there's equity and fairness in those considerations. So also, uh, Port Commissioner Sam Cho, thank you very much for your time today. So uh, this has been, I uh, want to sign out and thank you all and talk to you at five o'clock. Um, I hope all of y'all, which means that Commissioner Cho will be on the line. All right, and then I want to thank uh, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice, Lawrence Coleman, and Josie Reagan, uh, Sound Transit Office of Civil Rights, Diversity and Inclusion, headed up by John Tay Robinson, and the City of Sales Purchasing and Construction Services Office, which is headed by Liz Alzier, helped by Carol Wong, Mark, and also Jesse. So, uh, we're going to check out for today. Uh, Eric, want to thank you very much. <clears throat> if you could just go ahead and get, put some blues on or something for the rest of the time, and we'll talk to everybody else next week. Thank you.